Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! And we're back, another edition of Fizz 5. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Gotkin alongside Tyler Aiken. And finally, we're previewing another football game after the bye. Syracuse did not lose a game this week, so that's good, isn't it, Tyler? Uh, it's great. Didn't lose the game, and it's all about coming out of the bye week on a fresh start. Won the first four, lost the next three, and... Look, this season is all, all going to be about proving that this team is not last year's team with a huge skid to end the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved walking around wearing my orange and have people come up to me and say, hey, they didn't lose this week. So that's going to be topic number one, previewing Virginia Tech. Number one. Well, this is a Hokies team that's been a little bit confusing this year because they struggled a lot early on. I mean, lost to Purdue, lost to Rutgers, and then they turn around and last game a 30 to 13 win over Wake Forest. So confusing stuff going down in Blacksburg. And well, Wake for, Wake Forest has been confusing enough as is this season. So just a, a lot of the middle to low tier ACC teams, you're just not really sure what team you're gonna get each time. And look, the only ACC loss for the Hokies so far is Florida State. So so far ACC play, Virginia Tech has been very very strong. And it all starts with the best passing defense in the conference. Less than 200 yards through the air allowed per game. That tops the conference. But even, like, the defensive line has been very, very good. Antoine Powell-Ryland, their defensive lineman, has three forced fumbles on the season, seven sacks, 25 tackles. There's just a lot of different guys. It's going to be tough on the Orange offensively. Especially when you consider what happened last time out for the passing offense. Just 99 yards for Garrett Schrader you got to turn things around, and it's not going to be easy against this Virginia Tech team. As you said, they have been good outside of that Florida State game in conference, and this is the big one for me for the Syracuse team because you can't really fault them for losing to three kind of powerhouses in the conference, and I know Clemson's not as good this year, but Florida State and North Carolina, now that you're at your other teams in the conference, can you come back and can you prove that, okay, you know, we might not be at that top tier, but are we at that second tier in the ACC? It's a legitimate question, and you look back to the last time these two teams played, that might have been the best game Syracuse has played in the last few years, a walk-off touchdown pass to Damian Alford, 45-yarder. That was a fun game to watch. This time around, it's going to be tough. You mentioned the passing offense has struggled. Dino Babers in the press conference this week said he thought SU's offensive line played well against Florida State, and Schrader still didn't have enough time to get the ball out, so that's concerning. He hasn't thrown for 200 yards the past three weeks. Then you look at Damian Alford, who was the MVP of the game a few years ago. He hasn't been explosive at all this year. Three total catches across the last three weeks and hasn't scored a touchdown since Colgate. And so... Just a lot not to like with the passing offense. Maybe the maybe it's time for the rushing game to take over. LaQuint Allen can can start to you know attack the defenses more and more. I've been a big proponent of using him in the passing game, but as long as you get him in space, I'm fine with it. I mean, look, he had a, over a rush, over, sorry, over a hundred rushing yards 
against FSU, and still they scored just three points. So you can get the rushing offense better, but at the same time, you need more than 99 yards through the air, and to me that's your wide receivers have to step up because ever since Gadsden's gone down, it's been no one. The question coming into the season was who was going to be the number two. Now you need to know who's going to be the number one, and no one has stood up. I mean, we haven't heard anything from Donovan Brown or Umari Hatcher recently, and that's where the big concern is offensively because Schrader doesn't have any open receivers. No, Dan Villari was kind of a one-hit wonder. He's not really being schemed open as much as he was. I'll say it again, LaQuint Allen should be the safety valve out of the backfield, especially when Schrader needs to get rid of the ball quick. Allen should have eight catches a game minimum, preferably ten. But it's not happening. He's the leading receiver for Syracuse this year in terms of receptions, and he's still not getting the ball enough. It's just confusing to me, and if Syracuse is going to succeed against a really stingy secondary that the Hokies have, the key is going to be short passes. I just I, 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 I don't dislike Beck as an offensive coordinator, but it seems like he just isn't using the strengths of the offense at times. Yeah, this is first year as offensive coordinator. A lot of issues with that offense, but let's quickly touch on the other side of the ball before we move on from football for now. Kyron Drones, the starting quarterback for the Hokies, has just been better and better throughout the season. He played by far his best game of the year, I think, against Wake Forest, over 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. This defense has to step up as well. You know, they played a good game against Florida State, but I feel like they need to start making more plays, have some turnovers, and just start changing the game a little bit more than just getting stops. Turnovers was such a big part of Syracuse's identity early in this season. You think back to the Pitt game. Pitt, I had like, or not Pitt, uh, Purdue. Mm -hmm. Purdue had like eight fumbles. Oh, yeah. Didn't lose all of them, but (laughs) still. Um, And when you play a bend don't break style of defense like Syracuse does where you know you just slowly let other teams march down the field the biggest aspect is you got to force turnovers or force you know four and outs in four down territory there just has to be some sort of it factor other than just slowly letting teams march down the field and beat you and and that hasn't happened recently and so that, that is a big concern and you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, the one the one benefit I see in this matchup is that Kyron Drones, Virginia Tech's quarterback, is a dual-threat quarterback. He runs and passes very well. Um, so he, Syracuse faces a player like that all the time in practice. Syracuse plays against Garrett Schrader, who's really a carbon copy of Drones. And so at least my, my optimistic hope is that maybe Syracuse's defense – kind of plays already against a quarterback like that. But this is going to be a dogfight. This might be the closest game Syracuse has had all year because it was four pretty big wins and three pretty big losses. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Drones, just one interception so far this year. Well, a lot of unknowns with Syracuse football, but there is one known thing when it comes to Syracuse basketball, and that is Judah Mintz, and he is topic number two. Number two. Well, you really can't say enough about Judah Mintz, how special of a talent he is, how important it is that he returned to Syracuse and did not go to the NBA draft. And it came out, I think, yesterday that Judah Mintz was named to the Bob Cousy watch list as one of the nation's top point guards. He absolutely deserves it. One of the best returning guards in the entire country. 
Mince is just, he's the prototypical Syracuse player that can do it all. Up until, you know, midpoint late, late last season, he had most things down. He was a great defender, was getting steals all over the place in the zone defense. And then offensively, he was driving, he was kicking, he was scoring at the rack. The one part of his game you were missing was three-point shooting. I mean, season long, Mintz was was just a 30% three-point shooter, but he really cleaned it up at the end of the end of last season. And so I, I can't really think of a huge weakness in his game. Obviously, he's better at some things than other things, but Mintz, Mintz has it all, and it, it's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, he, he really does. You mentioned his defense. He led the ACC in steals. Yes. Judah Mintz is a really, really good defender, and, man, if he can get that outside shooting just a little bit better. John Rothstein said when he watched practice that Judah Mintz looked like a much-improved three-point shooter. I, I don't know how much I completely can believe that just because Rothstein is always – positive about everything and I've never seen him once say something negative but you know if that's true if Judah Mintz is a guy who can shoot 35% from three I mean he is a top five guard 100% in the ACC could be a top three he could be the best guard in the ACC if he can shoot well very very much so and one thing that'll make it easier for him shooting is that last year a lot of his three pointers were off the dribble this year, he has a, a, another really strong guard. No, no disrespect to Joe Girard when I say this, but a really good passing guard in J.J. Starling that can set him up for some catch-and-shoot shots on the wing. And so instead of dribbling up the court and having to find his own three-pointer, maybe he'll be put in some better situations by the rest of the offense this year. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of being able to be the main star of the offense and have the offense truly revolve around you because – you know, you you had Joe Girard last year, and a lot of the offense was around getting him open on screens. And also Edwards. And you yeah, also had Edwards, Edwards getting open as well. So it, it really is his offense. Not to say that, you know, there aren't – like, J.J. Starling will get his reps. Chris Bell will just shoot when he gets the ball. Taylor will shoot when he gets the ball. There's nobody else that really has a magnet and will be forced the ball like Judah Mintz. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is also makes him so special and I think is going to be even more apparent this year is his athleticism and his just pure slashing ability because that's the best part of his game offensively is how he can drive to the rack. And now that you don't have a Jesse Edwards kind of clogging it up, if this team is truly going to play fast and play open, then I think Judah Mitz gets even more points down low because you're not going to have that big man down there and you're going to be pushing fast breaks. Well, Naheem McLeod will get his minutes. Yes. So a 7-4 guy in the paint certainly clogs things up but fast breaks are, are going to be a very enticing part of his play um yeah I mean he he can work coast to coast now the one thing the one thing I will say is that and I mentioned this on the last fizz five with Francesco and Liam is that Judah Mintz as well as the rest of the starting lineup this year it, it's too bad that they're they come together right after Bayheim is no longer the head coach because this is the perfect personnel to continue running a 2-3 zone defense. This is the prototypical long-armed players that are athletic and can move, working well together in a zone. And the biggest part is that all of these guys could get out and challenge shooters in half a second notice. The the biggest <laughs> down the biggest downside of the zone in the past few years was that Three-pointers yeah. were getting let up all the time. And so I, I just wish I could have seen a year of J.J. and Judah at the top of a 2-3 zone together. Now, the man defense will be great, but it, it just would have been so nice to see them in a zone. 
Yeah, that that would have been really fun. I do think we'll see a little bit of it this year. Maybe we will see a little bit of it on Friday, and that is topic number three, the first exhibition game. Number three. Well, it's crazy to say, but we're going to have Syracuse not playing themselves in the Dome on Friday in basketball exhibition game number one, the Orange host Damon. Not a school I've ever heard of, to be honest. No, uh, you're showing you're showing your lack of knowledge on upstate New York. Damon's a D two out in uh, out in the Buffalo area. Um, you know, worked its way up as a program. Used to be a USCAA school, huh. which is like just completely different than the NCAA. Worked into NAIA. Um, and, and is now a D2 school and has been very good the past two years atop its conference in several stats, uh, has made uh, its conference championship game the last four seasons, I think. So the the biggest thing to say, look, Damon is pretty good, is that just last night, we're recording this on Tuesday, so on Monday, they they played a D1 Buffalo team and lost by four. Yeah. And so a, clearly Damon's pretty competitive. Yeah, and, and a D1 Buffalo team that they lost by 32 last year in an exhibition game. So I don't know if that's Buffalo being a lot worse. I was going to say maybe worse, Buffalo is just not that great. Or, you know, Damon is really getting to the next level when it comes to Division II basketball. Their best player, their leading scorer, Joey Atkins, he's a New York guy, went to Jefferson University, now a grad student. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Syracuse defense does. I think that's the big thing. That's what everyone's looking forward to, the man-to-man. Yes, especially because Damon is such a a strong shooting team. Last year, uh, they shot the three-pointer at just under 40% as a team and shot from the field almost 50%. Both of those led their conference. Sounds like a Colgate. So it's, (laughs) it's very much like a Colgate and some other interesting things, maybe, you know, more human side things to watch out for, is that you have two local kids playing on the team for the Wildcats. Peyton and Preston Shumpert both went to James Will Do It High oh. School. Uh, a proud alum myself, uh, but were very good there. Went to Stony Brook for a year and then transferred here. Um, and an even better tie in is that both of their fathers, uh, Preston Shumpert Sr., went to SU and was very good from 1998 to 2002. Huh. So Preston Sr., great three-point shooter back in the day. He was like a three-year starter for the Orange. And so now his kids getting to play against Syracuse, that should be uh, that should be a fun little nugget to explore on Friday. Yeah, that's a ton of fun. I, I would look at Preston's just profile picture, whatever you call it, on the athletic website because he's yeah. got some great hair. Oh, great hair. Uh, a nice kind of good Really grown thing. out his facial hair yeah. since high school, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, two local guys, as you said, two former Division One basketball players too. So, It'll be really interesting to see what the Orange can do. I mean, it's an exhibition game. We can't buy into the results that much. Not worried. I'm not worried at all about the results. Worried about the schemes I see. Worried about which players are being forced to the ball. Worrying about the rotations we get to see. This is a chance to try out Malik Brown at the center position. This is a chance to see, you know, how flexible is Benny Williams in terms of positioning. All of that is much more important than the final score or the box score. I, I'm interested to see who's playing where, who has chemistry. That That's going to be the biggest part of this game. Yeah, I mean, in what, one of the best seasons that we've ever seen from Syracuse, they lost to LeMoyne in an exhibition. So winning and losing exhibitions, not the biggest deal. But Because later that year, 
Syracuse had one of the best teams in the country, yeah. was a one seed in the NCAA exactly. tournament, and would have won it all if Arinze Onuaku yeah. didn't get injured. And you lose to LeMoyne that year. So so win or lose, the exhibition doesn't matter. But as you said, it's just seeing things. It's, it's wanting to see the man-to-man not give up a bunch of mistakes. And you want to see this man. You want to maybe see a little bit of zone, too. I'm, I'm interested to see. You know, Autria said we're going to play man, but, you know, maybe they go into a 2-3 every once in a while. You know, what what does that offense look like with Judah and J.J., and how is Benny Williams? It's going to be a lot of fun first exhibition game on Friday. But that's all the talk that we have on the Syracuse men's basketball team. They're just starting their season, a team that is about to end their season, the Syracuse men's soccer team, the reigning national champions. We'll get into them on topic number four. Number four. Well, the reigning national champs definitely struggling a little bit down the stretch. Most recent rankings still in the top 20, now at number 19 after a draw against a pretty bad NC State team in the elements on Sunday. But just one game to go in the regular season, and that's on Friday at Boston College, the worst team in the ACC. But this team is in a really interesting spot right now. I, I, you know, I was at that NC State game and As just was I. just watching the offense move. There's just such a lack of chemistry, uh, especially on set pieces, which Syracuse really typically does a good job with historically. And this year, I mean, Syracuse is taking the second most corner kicks of any team in the country this year. And so you'd expect that's where Syracuse would really succeed. But you know, just a, a lot of miscommunication on motions, a lot of shots from way outside the box and not very accurate shooting. It, it just seems like something's off. It's tough to tell what it is, but something is off, especially on the offensive end. You know, Schoberg and the defense have been doing pretty fine for the most part. Obviously, some botches here and there, but the offense is a concern. Yeah. So, for those of you who don't know, I'm very into this team. I'm a, I'm a reporter for our student TV station, Citrus TV, so I'm with this team every single game pretty much talking to them. And the one thing that they always say is that, oh, the goals are going to come. They're going to come eventually. When? Just wait. It's when? You have one game to go in the regular season. You can't just keep saying, oh, they're going to come. They have to eventually come at some point because we're almost at playoff time, and yet it's still – an offense that continues to struggle, an offense that has the second-worst shot accuracy in the country. They're not getting their shots on goal in the first place. And it's funny, the team that's actually the worst shot accuracy in the country is Boston College, who they play on Friday. So, yeah, I guess that looks good. But it, it's just there's a, there's the lack of that number one goal score that you had last year. You don't have a Nathan Apoku, and you don't even have a Levante Johnson. No, and, and then kind of switching gears up here, talking – uh, uh, about the the man between the pipes, I I'm a little concerned because I see Syracuse in the ACC tournament coming into the end of 90 minutes tied one one. Nobody scores in overtime, and that I I can see I can see a a penalty kick situation going forwards. And when you switch goalies mid season, you you have to be a little concerned in terms of I I understand Wickham. Jaheim Wickham, SU's you know new starting goal. I understand he won a, a conference defensive player of the week just a few weeks ago, but still a lack of experience and a lack of 
of faith in one goalie one way or the other for Syracuse. That's the thing I'm least worried about really? about this team, I think, because so I mean Wickham's been caught out of position quite a bit recently. He has, but at the same time Wickham was supposed to be the starter coming into the season. Correct. Jason Smith transferred in very, very late. He was the USL two, which is the top amateur league. He was the player he was the goalie of the year. So he had an incredible summer. He was on fire, came in and took the job at Syracuse. And Wickham, who was the rookie of the year last year on this team without even playing at all, just lost his spot. And then, you know, he comes in first appearance of the year, gives up a goal against Penn State when the team is down to 10 men. And then Jason Smith really struggles against Duke, gives up five goals. He comes in and plays incredible. He's struggled a little bit lately, but, I mean, there's nothing you could do in that NC State game to to stop the goal that the Wolfpack scored. It was yeah, one of true. the best shots that I've seen all season. It was beautiful. By any team. Beautiful in the rain. It was it was perfect. So, I don't think I'm too worried about Wicca. I'm all just, right. I'm worried about where the goal's going to come from because Baselli hasn't been scoring recently. Well, B- Baselli, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't even start against NC State. Yeah, so he's he's kind of been taken out of the starting lineup with Felipe Diagostini taking the spot after he scored two goals against DL. I like Diagostini starting. He's a Brazilian, and you can just you watch him for three minutes and you know that he's a Brazilian because of how he plays. And that's something that Coach McIntyre always says is he's just so creative. I like personally when it's Diagostini and Baselli up top. McIntyre kind of likes to go Diagostini and Kalukian in the starting lineup. Nick Kalukian, the Michigan transfer. It's just they got to find ways to, to score goals in bunches. They keep saying once they figure it out, they'll be good. And I believe that. It, because that you see the talent once they once they figure it out, this team it's too can late do to, anything. It, but it's too late to it's do that. It's too late to figure it out. That's my point. And I will say, just an absolute well, not absolute waste. It's a top twenty-five team, but it, it's unfortunate that an all-time season by Georgi Okachevsky is oh happening with, with a team that can't punch in goals. He's got nine assists. If Syracuse was finishing like it should be. Kachevsky might have 13, 14 assists on the year. Yeah, he's right near the top of the country. He's right near the top in just Syracuse history. Probably could have a couple more, too, as you said, if this team just was able to finish. I want to see Kachevsky score a couple more goals. He only has one. But at the end of the day, I'll end our men's soccer talk on this. Anything can happen in college soccer. Oh, yeah. There is no sport that has had the parity of college soccer this year. Marshall, who is the number one team in the country, hadn't drawn, hadn't lost a single game coming into this week, lost both of their matches. They lost to an unranked Kentucky. Four of the top 15 lost to unranked teams this week. And Syracuse, earlier earlier this month, lost to maybe the worst team in the country, Temple. <laughs> so yeah. Any, Anything can happen on any given Sunday, I guess you can say, because they play on Sundays once you get into the playoffs, but... Really, anything can happen in the sport of college soccer. If, if the Orange can turn it on, they can go all the way, or, you know, they just don't have it this year. It's going to be really interesting to see. You know, McIntyre now has gone to the College Cup twice. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do. Well, we talked about them at the very start, but another team that's starting to get a little bit closer to postseason play now as we're getting about a week away tomorrow, I guess, when this comes out today, exactly a week away from the final month of the season is Syracuse football, and that's going to be topic number five in Outlook on the rest of the season. Number five. 
Well, we're in an interesting spot right now for Syracuse football. I think personally this entire season kind of depends on what goes down against Virginia Tech. But before that game, where we stand right now, this team two wins away from bowl eligibility. It feels like they have to make a bowl game considering the schedule. But at the same time, they've lost three in a row. They lost three in a row, but, you know, I've, I've said this. Nobody nobody should be prisoners of the moment. Going into the season, Syracuse fans, and I'm sure the Syracuse team, probably expected to lose to Clemson, North Carolina, and Florida State. Now, those losses were much worse, much more lopsided than maybe they should have been. But still, coming into the year, I think if you told Syracuse fans SU would be 4-3 and three coming out of the bye with a pretty easy schedule going forward, the easiest schedule of any Power 5 team for the rest of the season, SU fans would be excited. And now we're here, and it seems like everybody's acting like, you know, th- this team is completely going downhill. The stats have been concerning the last few weeks. I totally understand that. But I do think you got to hold out until after the Virginia Tech game to give a real analysis because that is a team much more in the caliber that Syracuse can beat and much more in the caliber. Like, Virginia Tech, that's about the type of opponent Syracuse is playing rest of the season. So let's have some patience. We'll talk about the rest of the season here, but in general, after Virginia Tech is a much more important week to analyze, in my opinion. Yeah, because... You you just said it perfectly. You can say, okay, this team stinks because they just lost by almost 40 points, but that was the number four team in the country. Yes. And you, you've you just played three NFL quarterbacks. Three quarterbacks were going to be drafted. and They'll all be drafted. Club, Club Nick will get drafted at some point. Uh, probably. I'll give Sixth, you that. Sixth, seventh round. Three okay. quarterbacks who will be on NFL rosters, I think, at some point. And now you face Virginia Tech and Boston College and Pitt three straight games. Three teams that as you said, are on the same level as you or should be on the same level as you. I think this team has to win two of the next no. three before no. you get into a oh, really okay. scary spot. I, I jumped the gun there. Sorry, I thought you were <laughs> going to say two of the last five. I've heard two from some people. I've heard three. I think it's a minimum three to have a decent season. They, because, they because, should win at least four. Well, see, now you're getting to it. Like, a lot of these are 50-50 games. My expectation is three. Because that would mean seven and five at least kept the same record as last season. Some people have said, well, if SU wins two, it makes a bowl game. I think it needs to be the same or better as last season yeah. to be a success. So three should be the minimum. Four would be great. Winning out would be awesome. I, I mean, if you came into the season thinking SU could go nine and three, I mean, you'd be called crazy. So that would be cool. The two games is probably the worst outcome. Because if Syracuse loses out and goes four and eight, then Dino's gone, right? Then Dino is gone. You can kind of officially move on from this era of the program. Two wins it would be the first time Syracuse made back-to-back bowl games this century, I believe, or the second time as he made back-to-back bowl games since the nineties. And so then you can't change anything. Which and is, it would be two deflating years where it feels like everything fell apart. It felt feel like going two and three against this schedule and just finishing the year six and six, that wouldn't be good. But like you're kind of in, you're kind of in a bind if that happens. So in my opinion, the worst case scenario is two and three. Yeah, well, that's why I said you I think you have to win two of the next three because you have to just clinch that bull eligibility right away. And because if you if you go one and two in these next games and 
You're then five and five with at Georgia Tech and Wake Forest up next with how this team has been injury-wise. It feels like it's getting worse and worse. And just Dino's record in November in the first place. I mean, he's well below 500. I think he's won like 30% if even games in the month of November. The later you get, the closer you are to not having six wins, the scarier it gets. So I think I think that this Virginia Tech game is, is a must win. I'll call it that. Uh, a must win. See, is it a can't lose? Are we one of the? I don't. I, well, <laughs> there's no ties in college football. It's one way or the other. Uh, I don't like. I don't love the term "must win" in general, um, and I won't call it a must win. But what I will say is that losing four in a row is mentally really hard to get out of. Especially you lose three, get the break of the bye. You lose one more after that. It feels like you're right where you left off after Florida State. It feels like you're right back in the dumps. So just mentally, like. Syracuse might play well, but if it loses against Virginia Tech, you've got a point that now Syracuse has lost four in a row. The questions start to, you know, get louder and louder. That's just it's not a good situation to be in for a football team. And so it obviously it's a should win. Every game is a should win, but this it's a big week big week for Virginia Tech. Do you have a do you have a prediction for me before we get, we get things going? Uh, I've I haven't I haven't thought of my prediction yet. I, I don't want to say it now before okay. truly, truly thinking of it because I don't want to change it later on. Do you have yours yet? I do not have mine yet. Okay. Though I'll give. I, I could give a team that I think is going to win. Who do you? What team do you think? And is I think win? it's going to be different from the team you think is going to win. You think Virginia Tech is going to win? I think Syracuse is going to. Oh, win. I think Syracuse. Is gonna really? Win. They, yeah. Known Syracuse football hater Adam Gotkin <laughs> I think is predicting I, I th- an orange win. I think I'm perfect. Am I not? Or maybe I got the Purdue game wrong. But. Yeah, but the, just the you've been accurate. I'll give you that. Yeah, but it's just very <laughs> well, pessimistic. I, I'm I'm pessimistic, and a large part of that is because of my professional sports teams, and uh, the Commanders losing to the New York Giants this week is a reason of why I, I've been pessimistic my whole life. Can, can, when you talk about sports, Tyrod Taylor is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Oh so. my gosh! All right, but I, I think Syracuse is going to win this game. If you want to get all of our Fizz Staff's predictions, we'll have our crystal ball up for this game as we do for every game. The morning of the game, it's a Thursday game, so we got football on tomorrow night. It's going to be a loud environment down in Lane Stadium. We'll have your coverage on X with the live tweeting and post-game space sets at Orange Fizz. And as always, we'll have content throughout the week on our website at orangefizz.net. But for Tyler Aiken, I'm Adam Gatkin. We will see you next week. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.